0: Good morning, Harvest. I think about that song talking about death losing its grip on us, and I couldn't help but to think about being lost in the wilderness, thinking you're going to die, and a rescue team coming in to save you. I thought about drowning in water and someone coming to pull me out. I thought about being in the midst of a war, locked down in a foxhole, and then, and then friends coming to bring relief and bringing salvation and rescue. And I thought about how great that would feel and how much rejoicing and joy would be welled up inside of me. And in that moment, realized that what God has done for us is better than any of those situations being rescued from. And when my heart misses that, I grieve And I find the Spirit reminding me how good, how good, how good it is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is good, so let's go to Him and pray real quick. Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for dying for us. Thank You for loving us regardless of who we are and what we've done and what we still do. You love us. God, infect our hearts and our minds to know that, to never forget it, and to grow in your grace and to grow in Jesus every single day of our life. God, thank you, thank you. We pray all of these wonderful things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, it's good to see you. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me real quick. Ephesians chapter 5. very excited about uh, today's sermon and... On that note, I, I want to I want to bear my heart a little bit with you, my desire for all of us. My desire is not is not that my heart would get up here and just preach another sermon and that you would just hear another sermon. Because like many things in life, we get bored quickly. I can't chew a piece of gum without wanting another piece. Instantly after that, and if I'm doing routine thing, no matter how good it is, if it's routine, and if our listening is routine over something that's good, yes, then we can f- far too often forget really what it is we're doing. So let me remind you what it is we're doing. We are taking the very words of God, the words that formed planets, formed planets, the, the words that speak and make weather obey Words of God himself that were not revealed completely in the past, but have been through thousands of years and have been put in our hands. Words that give life. Words that are far greater than the cure for cancer. Far greater than all of our bills being paid far greater than the lottery, far greater than anything we think we could need. When we open up and we hear words of life coming from the lips and the mouth of God, we're hearing true power. Power that brought fire down and consumed the sacrifices amongst the pagan minds and hearts that turn to false gods. That's what we're doing. We get to open this up and and listen. And I get to speak. And we get to hear. And I think we need to be reminded far too often, like, hey, man, listen, this, this is what we get to do in here. Oh, it's awesome. So listen, here's what's really awesome about where we're going in today, Ephesians 5. We're going to kind of end something, but we're also going to begin something. And, and the one thing that Paul is going to end in this passage is he's culminating what he's been talking about. What he's been talking about through four and five is our behavior. And he's used this word that starts with a W, our walk. He's talking about our behavior. Now let me remind you a few things that he has said up to this point. We've heard him say things like this. At the very beginning, walk in a manner worthy. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. And right now he's going to say, walk as wise people. When we come to four and five of Ephesians, we could very, very easily think legalism and think that we're just getting a bunch of rules of things that we have to do. And we will make it legalistic if we approach it that way. I want you to join me on a little journey here. Go to chapter four real quick. Go to chapter four. I want to show you something. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is he saying there? He's saying, you have already been called. You are Christians. This is who you are so walk this way. Look down now at verse 17 of chapter 4. Verse 17, he says this. Now this I say and testify, Lord, that you must no longer walk as who? As the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Implying that you are not a Gentile. Someone separated from God. Don't walk like something you aren't. Look here at the next verse. Look at 5.1. He says this in 5.1. He says, therefore be imitators of God as Beloved children. And he says, walk in love. He's not saying, he's not saying pretend to be like children. He's saying, No, 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 no. You are beloved children. Imitate the reality that you have a father and imitate him. He's yours, and you are children of him. So live according to that. And then look down at verse 9. He says this in verse 9 of chapter 5. Walk as children. Children of light. And he said before that, therefore, do not become par- partners with them, for at one time you were, you see that key word, were darkness, but now you are light. Now you are light. And we come to this verse in chapter 15 where we're going to start today. And he's going to tell us to walk as wise. People, What's the point? Why am I bringing up all of this? Paul, it was reminding us who we are. He's telling us who our identity is. He spent the first three chapters telling us what God has done, what Jesus has done for us. And he's reminding us who you are. And so now, since you are this, live according to it. This is your identity. This is who you are. If indeed you have believed Jesus is yours, this is You. And so the motivation to live for God does not flow from a desire to get closer to Him through our behavior, but our motivation to live for Him comes from the idea that He's done something great for us and He's made us something. And so now we're living according to what we already are. We're living into who we are. Think about this. Remember when Michael Jordan decided to go play baseball? It's like, what are you doing, man? You're a basketball player. And him playing baseball, the whole time you're like, what is this guy doing? What, come on, just, just come back to basketball. You're a basketball player. Come back to basketball, right? right? He, you see him go through this like identity crisis as he's trying to figure out what to do towards the end of his career. But every one of us knows Michael Jordan, first thing you think of, man, he's a basketball player. And we as Christians, too often what we do is we have an identity that never goes away. Think about, to be adopted To be adopted into the family of God means that you are a child and you are forever a child. You never stop being a child. My daughters, when they break something, they don't become less of my children. They just grieve me and I have to correct them and I have to train them and teach them. But they don't stop being my children. So let me ask you this. If you are in any way living in a manner... Anyway, living in a manner that is trying to gain identity from God through your behavior, it's backwards. It's backwards. Let me remind you of words of Jesus. Jesus said, John 6, he said this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. No help at all. Worthless. No good. It's not going to help you. It's not going to get you closer to God. Doing everything in our own strength will not please God. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is why God's Word is so important and so powerful. Why it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Because it can both take away life as it did to the people in the wilderness in Exodus that walked in unbelief, or it can give life to God's children who believe Him in faith and give their life to Him and change them completely. And so when we get into these verses and we get into Ephesians and we hear all of these things, we need to remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. So one says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've called. This whole section is like a sandwich. The top layer of bread is like saying, man, God is so good. Look what He's done for you. Now be motivated by what He's done for you and live according to that. Oh, yeah. And then this portion of scripture we're going to is the bottom part of the sandwich. Everything in between has been what this looks like to walk in a manner worthy, to walk and to behave like a Christian. But this last piece of bread that's going to be sandwiched underneath everything is going to remind us that, hey, there's a purpose and a point to living on planet earth. And there is wisdom we must walk in because what we do, who we are and how we act is directly correlated to God using us in the way that he wants us to be used in this world. And so here's what I want us to do today. We are already wise men and women. How then do we walk as wise? How do we walk into the identity we already possess? very important to remember that. Everything we do should flow from that. We don't have the screens, but I do have an outline. So if you're writing down, you can write this. I want to show us four things that make a wise walk. Four things that make a wise walk. Now listen, we're already wise people. We're already Wise people. Now we're just living into the reality of who we already are. We're wise because our minds have been enlightened, unlike the Gentiles who walk in the darkness and the futility of their mind. If God has saved us and given us His Word, He's opened our minds to truth, to the real truth, and we've been made wise positionally. But we have to live into that. Live into that, and that's what we're going to see. Four things that make a wise walk. Four things that make a wise walk. Here's the first one in verse 15. Ready for it? Careful examination of our walk. Careful examination of our walk. He says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. When he uses the word unwise there, he's talking about foolishness or he's talking about the fool. If you want to learn about the fool, go to the book of Proverbs and the Bible will tell you and explain to you who the fool is and what the fool looks like this. The foolish person is the one who has no insight into true things. They have no insight into true things or they have insight into true things and they don't live according to the knowledge that they have. Two types of fools. Ones who are ignorant or those who have knowledge and do not act on that. Proverbs 14 says this, Stay away from a fool, for you will find no knowledge on their lips. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but the goodwill is found among the upright. So when we have this command, walk not as unwise people, foolish people, but walk as wise because you are that. Let's talk about three things. The mind of the fool. The mind of the fool, as we've been told early in Ephesians, is devoid of the knowledge it needs to know about God. Its mind is darkened. There's futility there. It's wastefulness, it's foolishness. There's nothing good to it. What it thinks about, what it dwells on, and what it wants is not in accordance with God's word and not in accordance of truth. It's it's what I want and my desires and how I can make life good for me. That is a foolish mindset. One that we all have until Christ and one we're always going to struggle going back to because we still live in this flesh. Always going to struggle with it. Otherwise, Paul went ahead and said, Don't walk this way. The mind of the fool is darkened. The Bible talks about the mouth of the fool. The mouth of the fool, there's some great verses about the mouth of the foolish person. Speaking before you think, saying whatever comes to your mind, inviting a beating. Proverbs says the mouth of the fool invites a beating, it creates strife. It gossips, it tears people down, not builds people up. It's, it's, it's a mouth that is on fire. It's like a small fire that sets aflame the whole course of life, James says, and it's set on fire by hell. It's the, that's the mouth of the fool. And then you have the ways of the fool. All the ways of the fool are the, the broad ways of destruction. The foolish person is the eat, drink, and be merry type of person. That the ways that I'm going to walk are only going to satisfy the desires that I yet have that I want. And so Paul is telling us, do not walk unwise. Careful examination of our walk. So here's what we need to do. Here's what we should do after this hearing this. Like, man... God saved me. He's adopted me. He's made me a child. He's given me everything in Christ. I'm His. I want to live for Him. I don't want to be foolish. How can I avoid this? Well, spend some time. Take some time. Sit down. Read through four and five. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. And examine your walk. Man, does my walk match this? Does my walk match this? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to go play baseball when you're at the climax of basketball, stay there. You're a believer, you're a Christian. You see, we, when we heard uh, the message of, of all of these people who, who will inherit hell and not inherit the kingdom of God, we saw a list of behaviors that were like, oh man, I struggle with all of those. But the key point as Paul is saying this, like you're not that, so why would you live like that? Don't do that. It makes no sense. It's not in accordance with who we are and who we've been made to be. Walk not as unwise people, but as wise. Now let's talk about wisdom. Wisdom is having insight into true knowledge, true facts. You have the insight, and then you're able to apply it to your life, right? So it goes far beyond just the knowledge. Knowledge is deceitful. Sitting and listening and, 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 and invading your mind with good things can be deceitful, especially if it never infects your hands and your feet. Right? Because we, we agree. We agree and we say, yes, that's true, I agree. But agreement does not mean compliance. True wisdom, a wise walk, behavior will take the knowledge that it has gained and it will infect life. That's how Jesus walked. Jesus said, man, what I say, I say that from what I've heard from the Father. And his whole life was just a life of true wisdom. A life that was in, in accordance with the truth. And then God said, man, I've predestined you to become, to be conformed to the image of that. To the image of that. We as children, as wise people, don't want this. And we'll pray and ask God to help us to avoid this. But it involves, a wise walk involves careful examination of how we're walking. So let's spend time looking and caring for why we're walking. And so now we're going to get into this next point. This is very interesting. If you're writing down, I want to help you out. Write this right under the first one. Is my walk unwise or wise? Here's some questions to help you. But look at this next one. A wise walk involves proper use of our time. Proper use of the time that is limited that we have. And the question is, is our time wasting, wasteful, or is it eternally useful? So he says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says this, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. If you turn to Colossians, don't turn there, but if you turn to Colossians 4, you'll hear him say almost the exact Same thing in relation, in relation to our witness to the world. He said, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward unbelievers, making the best use of your time. Exact same terminology. And he says this, walk wise, not unwise, making the best use of your time. The word there is the word redeem, to buy. It's so the same word we get for our redemption, freedom, To we've been released from slavery. And so the point he's making is that time is something that we have to buy, we need to redeem. Why do we need to redeem it? Because the very next thing he says here, because the days are evil. Immediately when we hear that, we think of all the evil things going on in the world today. The, the, the symptoms of evil, yes, are what we see, but our mind needs to go a little bit deeper than thinking about the time we live in as, as just the symptoms of evil. We need to remember that the world lies under the sway of the evil one. We need to remember that uh, the world is ruled by the prince of the power of darkness and that the time that exists is evil. It will never passively Go to light, become good, and be time that we see with people rejoicing and seeing peace on the earth. The earth is striving for peace. Literally, think about it. Everyone's fighting and killing each other about trying to disagree or agree on how to make peace. I'm telling you this. We will never experience peace on planet earth. We never will until Jesus comes back. But as long as the days are evil, lies under the power and the sway of the evil one, as long as he's the prince of the power of the air, our efforts into making peace will sadly not come to what we desire them. doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for it. But the reality is we won't see it until Jesus comes back and makes peace because he is the way of peace. So he says there, walk wisely, examine your walk, how is it is it unwise is it foolish or is it wise making the best use of your time listen you you want to be useful make the best use of your time spending time like really caring about your behavior is him saying that is the best use of your time we can deceive ourselves thinking like, hey, you know, I'm going to church, I'm in these programs, I do my devotions every day, I, I, I get in the Word, I isolate myself, and I study, and I can exegete the whole book of Romans, I know everything, and, and we do almost everything else to deceive ourselves into making to think, hey, we're good, and we're impacting the world for Christ, but really what we're doing is we're just pacifying, pacifying the conviction of the Spirit to go out and to be light to the world those things should pour from, again, the heart of identity and should be happening in our life because we have a genuine relationship with Jesus and because we want other people to know about Jesus. And so we care very deeply about our behavior because we know that God wants to use us. He wants us to be impactful. He wants people to see Jesus through us. And our behavior will either cloud him out or expel him into the eyes and the ears of those around us. And so we should care about our walk. That's wise. It's wise because it knows, man, I can make a difference here. I can make a difference, and I should, and God wants me to, and I really badly want other people to know Jesus. Okay, great. Yes, I want my life to be useful and not wasted. In the last few days of my life that I have here, I want them poured out for the sake of the gospel. Okay, yes, God will use that. But you know what he's always going to bring you back to? Are you walking in conformity to the image of my son? Are you walking into the identity that you possess? Are you being the person I've made you to be? Are you a child? Are you walking in a manner worthy? Are you walking in love, imitating your father as beloved children? Are you avoiding the walk of your old life and the walk of foolish people who do not have the truth? Are you avoiding that and staying away from that you walking as children of light, shining light out into the world. And finally says, if so, your walk's wise. If not, it's a foolish walk. It's a walk that's missing the point. A wise walk involves proper use of our time. Let me ask you, are we wasting our time? That word time there is not the same word for clock. He's using a word that denotes a specific, allotted, limited space of time that you have. There is coming an end to the time that you have, that I have. We only have so much. It is limited. And what little span of time that God has predestined for us to have, is it wise in making the best use of the time, looking out for its behavior? And walking in a way that shows people that Jesus is real. Walking in the joy of the Lord. Pouring forth fruits of the Spirit. You know, we live in a time, more so than any time, I think we all know it, where we can waste time easier than any other culture ever. Literally, we have been given the tools that we can, the tools that we desire and need to waste hours upon hours upon hours I'm a part of this we're all a part of this with a click of a button we can satisfy our boredom for endless hours endless hours do we care that's what I want to know, do we care we gotta care, we gotta care and want so badly for God to use us remember the flesh is no help at all In these moments, I know as I'm saying these things, we're thinking like, yes, I want that, I want that, but I'm just so, I'm so tempted all the time and I'm constantly fighting and my flesh is always, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you're doing the right thing, man. You're fighting. And you're letting the Spirit convict you and move you and motivate you to a life that's useful for Him. Redeeming your time. Here's the other implication of it. The other implication is, if we're not redeeming the time, listen, the day's are going to simply fester in evilness. If we're not light, there will be no other light. If it stops with us, it stops completely. Because only through the people who have Jesus in them will light shine into the world. We spend so much time fretting over, oh, what am I going to say to someone? What am I going to say to someone? What am I going to say to someone? And we miss the fact that Scripture, multiple times, is telling us that the best use of our time around people is our behavior. Our behavior people you need to put yourself in situations where people can see you living Jesus that will speak louder than your words and then Colossians tells us when you get the opportunity to open your mouth it just make sure it's seasoned with salt and gracious but your time is better spent examining your walk and conforming it allowing him to conform you to the image of his son a wise walk involves careful examination it involves proper use of our time But look at this next thing in verse 17. It involves understanding the will of the Lord. It it involves understanding God's will. Verse 17 says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's reinforcing what he said earlier when he said don't walk as unwise. He's literally said, therefore, don't do this. Don't be foolish. That word be there is actually the word become As in we can put ourselves in a situation, in an environment, in a state of mind in life where we slowly and over time become the very thing that we're hoping to avoid. The very thing we know we shouldn't be. We can do foolish acts in the moment and immediately, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. But there's something even worse than that. There's a state of mind that can happen. And that state of mind is directly linked to having a lack of understanding for what God wants for you. And what God desires. So a wise walk seeks to understand and understand God's will. And it wants to understand that. The foolish person is the one who has put themselves away from what God's word is saying. And what God wants. And only is focusing on what they want. It's an atheistic lifestyle. And it's even worse when it's found in believers. Because we don't operate out of ignorance. We don't operate in at ignorance. We operate knowing what the truth is, and the Spirit convicts us, and then we either grieve or we quench Him in the moment. And we say, yeah, I know the truth, but I'm going to live differently. It's worse in believers. And He's saying, don't be that way. Don't be foolish. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I don't know God's will for my life then either one, you're asking the wrong question or you're manifesting to yourself that if you don't know the will of the Lord, you can only assume and make the conclusion that there is foolishness in your mind, that you probably are being foolish. Maybe you're asking the wrong question because the question isn't, hey, what does God want me to do? And we say that in the sense of like career-wise and where does he want me to go God is not going to tell you all that because he wants you to experience dependency on him. And he's going to make you experience depending on him for the rest of your life to grow you. And so those things that we want to know, where should I go? What am I doing? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? All of those things God wants us wrestling with in the present time and depending on him. So there's not going to be anything in the sky that comes and reveals that. That's not the will of the Lord we're talking about. We're saying, what is it that God wants from his heart for his people And for my life specifically and my behavior and my walk with him and my time on planet earth, what is it that God desires? And as I say that, hopefully you and your mind can already go to Bible verses that talk about what the will of the Lord is. It's all over the scripture where God talks about what he desires. First and foremost, he desires everyone everywhere to repent and have a relationship with Jesus. That's a, a desire and part of the will of the Lord. He wants everyone to believe in Jesus. Jesus revealed that. The work of the Father is this, that you believe on the one whom he sent. God has a desire. He, he desires for his children to grow into the image of Christ. That's a desire and a will that he has. He says, "He says I also have a will for you, for your sanctification. And he talks about avoiding sexual immorality and all of these Old ways of life we must avoid. That is God's desire. God talks about us. He's, his, the will of the Lord is that we submit to governments. You hear that one? God has a desire that we would be citizens on planet earth that are, that are peaceful and gentle and do not revolt and we live under the authority of those that God has placed in us. The world revolts and rebels and fights against God's will for his people is they don't do that. (coughs) If you're saying, I don't know any of that, then you're manifesting you may lack the understanding of God's will for your life. And this is why God's word, we come back to it. This is why God's word is so important, why we need it. Why we need to eat, sleep, and breathe it. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to get this in our mind and understand it and then apply it. Which brings us to another meaning of the word understand. It's more than just head knowledge. It has to make its way through our hands and our feet. Understanding the will of the Lord is someone who desires to know it. And when they hear it, desires to live by it. That's true wisdom. True wisdom. True wisdom is heeding the truth and wanting it and treasuring it imagine this if you do not like the truth of God but you're trying to live in accordance with it you're already losing already losing that's why the heart that is begrudging over the commands and the desires and the will of the Lord I gotta do this Uh, this is what God wants I guess I'm just gonna struggle over it for the rest of my life is the person that's missing the joy of the Lord of what God has already done for them. No, we hear it like, God, yes, I want that. I know I'm struggling with it, but I want it. Help me, help me, help me. God, help give me understanding. Like, we're begging for this. We hear this and we're begging for it. We're like, yes, God, this is it. Because we know, like, the moment we were saved, we can do nothing in and of ourselves. And so we need more Jesus, more of the Spirit, helping us in these things. A wise walk. Examines its walk it, it properly uses its time it, it understands the will of the Lord and then this the wise walk lets the spirit fill the wise walk lets the spirit fill I'll say it again because this is the central verse of the New Testament central verse of Ephesians I would even say Let's the spirit fill. Look what he says here. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. When I've normally read this, I've always thought, why in the world it seems so out of place that he's throwing in alcohol in this moment? Like, he's got this, he's talking about the walk, he's talking about, the, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That seems almost random, but when you realize what Paul is doing in this passage, he's giving, like, the antithesis of the good thing. Like, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't waste your time, but be useful. Don't have a brain that lives in foolishness and lack of understanding, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's contrasting. So, he wants to contrast being filled with the Spirit, so he gives us a worldly example we all can understand, just like when you're drunk with wine and it controls you. It permeates your body and controls you in that same way. Don't do that, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Ephesus and Ephesians, the church, these people would have been dealing with very, very crazy pagan religions at this time. And alcohol was a big, big part of the pagan culture there. Actually, part of their worship was to literally gorge themselves on wine and then dance and revel in a drunken stupor, thinking that that was in a way making themselves more open to their God and that God was more pleased with them and they were gaining higher knowledge And getting closer and closer to spirituality through doing that. And before we laugh at these people, we walked in the same, or maybe hopefully not, but still do walk in the same futility of our mind. And so, we don't really know that the Ephesians, if they were struggling with this, but they were saved right out of that stuff. So when Paul says this, their mind truly understands, like, oh, yeah, not like that, but like this. Not like that. But like this He says there do not Get drunk with wine And he says this for that is debauchery There's a word we don't use much Think of the word excess It's taking something that may not be inherently bad And then using it excessively To the point of Debauchery, it's sin Drunkenness is always Wrong, never good Never allowed, always bad And that word, debauchery, speaks back to making the best use of your time. That word also carries with it wastefulness. Wastefulness. It's an example of a wasteful moment of life. Years and time spent drinking away, accomplishing nothing, giving it over to the evil day. He says, but be filled with the Spirit huge contrast let me explain why this is a central central part of the New Testament none of the commands in Ephesians are possible for any of us in our flesh but they are only possible through being filled with the Spirit here's what being filled with the Spirit does not mean being filled with the Spirit does not mean some type of zap of sensuality meaning some type of crazy emotional experience that will come over you and cause you to feel great and do great That's not being filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit is not us trying to do what God wants harder. Being filled with the Spirit is not us trying to do what God wants harder. Remember, Jesus said the flesh is no help at all. The Spirit gives life. Being filled with the Spirit is not the indwelling of the Spirit. The Bible talks about the spirit indwelling. That is the moment of salvation when you believe in Jesus. The spirit himself comes and indwells and lives within you permanently. Permanently. Let me say that again. Hold on a second. The moment you were saved, God himself, like no other time in history, no other time, gave his spirit, not beside you, but he put himself in you permanently to live in you. Listen, you look through the Old Testament and you see moments where these great men of God are being filled with the Spirit. It was temporary for them. And we saw them do crazy great things, things that we're like, man, we hope they would make a movie about that. We're like, man, but that power lives within you if you are saved. It is inside of you. God himself, he doesn't leave and come back and come back in. He indwells permanently. Oh, man, do we neglect and fail to misunderstand the reality of that awesomeness. The same power is inside God's children. But listen, when he says here, be filled with the Spirit, he's not talking about that. For those who have the identity in Christ and who are his, you already have that. You've already been indwelt. Do you know what he's not talking about when he says be filled with the Spirit? He's not, he's not talking about receiving more of the Spirit. There, you can see some people live in a way where they think, man, I just need more of the Spirit. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. That is a total, unbiblical, untheological term. You can never have more of the Spirit. You have 100% of the eternal God living within you at all times. So being filled with the Spirit is not receiving more. The Spirit doesn't like come in and then leave a little bit and then come back out and based off our behavior leave and then we got to have good behavior to get them back a little bit more. No, no. That's not what this means. It also doesn't mean baptism of the Spirit. That happened at the point we were saved. We were immersed into Christ completely. We are in Christ 100%. We will never be out of Christ 98%. No, no, we are 100% positionally Identity adoption, all of that happens and is sealed one hundred percent at the point of salvation. Don't forget that, but that's not what this is talking about. And then it's not talking about the sealing of the Spirit. Ephesians talked about how the Spirit is our guarantee and it's a seal. It's like a, the envelope where the wax is dropped and the, the the marker is placed and pressed onto the wax to identify whose this is and where this is from. And the Spirit is the mark on us that we are God's. And the Spirit confirms us that we are His children. But the filling of the Spirit is not what He's talking about here. Wow, Jasper, you have done a great job of telling me everything that this is not. How about you tell me what it is? He says here, Don't be drunk with wine that is debauchery, that is wasteful living. But just like alcohol controls you, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the idea of that word filled. It's something that is present. It's passive, which means it happens to you. You don't make it happen. And it's continuous, which means it goes on forever. What he's trying to get at here is we need to have a constant, conscious letting Conscious, constant, letting. Let me explain it to you this way. Imagine imagine if I had a big tub of water on stage. Clear, you could see through. And in the middle of this water, I had a balloon, which was the Holy Spirit, stuck it down inside. That's us. Holy Spirit is inside of us. Inside of us. But, but, But the Spirit... Wants to permeate our life, which the word "filling" has the idea of permeation. It, it permeates like salt does, meat. It completely changes the taste. It permeates it. The Spirit wants to permeate our life with Him. And He will. He absolutely will if we let Him. But what do we do? We, here's what we do. We, we take our hand and we kind of like plug the end of the balloon. And we hold Him back. As long as we're quenching and grieving the spirit, he will never fill our life. Which means if we're not doing what he's telling us to do, and if we constantly keep avoiding what he's telling us to do, we're quenching and grieving him, which means we're not filled. And he's like backed up begging to be let go of so he can fill our life. And so literally letting is, oh, letting. Letting. And if I were to release that balloon, if it was filled with like food coloring, it would permeate the water. The issue isn't that we got to like do something to get him to fill us. If we're like reading through this, if we're reading through this, and we're like, man, I'm, I am not walking wisely. I, I am, I am so walking backwards. God, I need to be filled with the Spirit. Like, that's an idea that you are holding him back through quenching and grieving him. We have to moment by moment, day by day, that's why it uses the word walk, right? Step by step. Consciously be aware of him at all times. And make sure we are not plugging the hole of eternal power that's trying to fill our lives. Do we understand this? I know some of us, when I say that, are like, I'm still not satisfied with it because you're not telling me what to do. Quit it! You can't fill yourself. And if you try to, you'll be full of it. Get it? It is a passive thing that happens to you. We have to let it happen. Let it. It's the same thing that happens in Romans 6 when we let sin have us. We give ourselves to sin and we become a slave to it. What does he say in Romans 6? Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God and yield to God. And he will use you for righteousness. Make yourself available constantly, step by step, moment by moment keeping an awareness that God of the universe lives within you and he wants to use you and allowing him to use you. If you start paying attention that way, oh, I see. This is, this is the joy I've been lacking. Oh, this, this is the ability to care more about others that I've been lacking. Oh, this is the ability to be a husband to my wife or a a wife to my husband that I've been missing, which is why he's going to go into chapter six. All the rest of the chapter is the result of being filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now let me give you some symptoms or evidence or consequences of being filled with the Spirit. You want to know if you're being filled with the Spirit? Look what he says next. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're finishing up. Here's what I want to end with. Being filled with the Spirit is really what we need. All of Ephesians, everything we're talking about is if God has made you a child, you already have your identity in him, then we're going to constantly be fighting to go back and to plug the work of God that he wants to do in our life. Filled with the Spirit. Let him be released in your life. Walk with him and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But a symptom of being filled with the Spirit is that we're singing. We're singing and making melody in our heart and it's genuine and it's coming out and we're around each other and we love each other and, and we have a, a song. We're, we're taking God's word from the, from the, from the Psalms and we're, we're singing truths about God from his word. We're singing hymns which are, are praising Christ and we're giving him praise. Spiritual songs being everything else that talks about Jesus and God and that's spiritual and we're consumed. There's a melody in our heart that will exist, that will come out and you feel like, man, there's no melody in my heart. You're not filled with the Spirit. Or either the Spirit doesn't belong to you. But you have to decide which one's which. And then he says there at the end, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is where the changes in the sermon series is coming. Changes, listen, I'm gonna say it before we go into it. If your marriage, if you're not the husband or wife you need to be in, you know it. You need to let the spirit work in your life, because it's what's going to change your marriage. He is what's going to change your marriage. He is what's gonna change your children. He's what's gonna change you. We need more and more of the spirit that gives life in our heart. And so we're either letting him or we're trying to take over, leading our life to death and misery and destruction. So as we continue this journey to walk wisely, make sure we're examining our walk. We're making proper use of our time. Make sure we're understanding what the will of the Lord is and make sure you're letting God fill you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the filling of the Spirit. God, we we struggle so much to understand. We struggle so much to apply. We struggle so, so much. But God, you're not surprised by any of that. You're so good to us. So remind us of who we are and what our identity is, and let us live according to that, motivated by what you've done for us and what you want to use us for. God, fill us today, we pray all, in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.